she was only 22. A few months previously, she had gotten married to the man of her dreams, but then came the arrests, the separation, and the terrible train ride to a place of unimaginable cruelty, a place where her mother, sister, and one-year-old niece were sent to their deaths upon arrival, a place where, a few weeks later, she would come to realize she was pregnant, and in this place, that was a death sentence, for this was Auschwitz. What miracles could happen in a place like this? In 2005, the United Nations designated January 27th as International Holocaust Remembrance Day, with the stated goal to mobilize civil society for Holocaust remembrance and education in order to help prevent future acts of genocide. The date was selected as it was the day in 1945 when Auschwitz ceased operations as World War II drew to a close. In honor of this, we wanted to produce a special edition of the If Win podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Paul Teese, and on this episode, it was a very special privilege to sit down with Leslie Rosenthal of Toronto, Canada. During World War II, Leslie's mother, Miriam, was pregnant with him during her internment at Auschwitz in late 1944. Amazingly, she and her unborn son escaped being selected for death. Miriam was then transferred to one of Dachau's subcamps, where Leslie was born at the end of February 1945. By a series of miraculous events, both Miriam and her infant son survived the war and were reunited with their husband and father, Bella. In the following discussion, I asked Leslie to share with us his and his mother's extraordinary journey to life and freedom. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for uh, joining us to talk about your story and your your mother's story, and you know the just kind of the miraculous things that happen, you know, around your birth and you know getting your family from Europe to Canada. And I wanted to sit down with you, especially as we prepare for International Holocaust Remembrance Day, and get your story. and And it's it's always important, I think, that you know, that people hear it afresh, you know, so that they know, you know, what has, what has transpired and, and so that it never happens again. So let me just kind of start us off. Can you, uh, you know, for our listeners, can you tell us about your mother's journey from Hungary, uh, where she met your father, you know, and then through the war years at Auschwitz and at the, the sub camp at Dachau and ultimately to Canada? Uh, where you know your family landed and and where you were raised. Well, sure. Thank you very much, Paul. I appreciate the <clears throat> opportunity for telling my mother's story and my story. Uh, it's just coincidentally, her fifth anniversary of her passing will be this uh, February the sixteenth. Mm. So it's um, it's apropos. Mm-hmm. So her in her, um, and we say in Hebrew, her zechut and her merit. Mm-hmm. This is uh, this is her story, and I'll. I'll, I'll Hopefully that uh, it, it will it will convey some of the uh, experiences that we've had that I've had uh, in growing up with the story. Mm. I've given I've I've talked about this uh, to, to children, uh, grade grade seven and grade eight students in schools. And the first question I ask always is, uh, how many of you have birth certificates? Of course, everybody everybody puts their hand up. If we have birth certificates, and do you remember what hospital you're born in? Yes, we do. And the doctors? Oh, yes, we know the doctors. Mm-hmm. 
I said, well, you know, in concentration camp, I didn't have a birth certificate. In fact, they didn't have birth certificates and they didn't have death certificates. Mm. On my passport, the only thing that even comes close is the fact that it says my place of birth is Kaufering, K-A-U-F-E-R-I-N-G, D-E-U, which is Deutschland, and the date, February 20th, 1945. On its own, it seems pretty sterile. Mm-hmm. Like saying North York, Ontario, Canada, which is a suburb of Toronto. Right. But what isn't mentioned is Kaufring Lager One, a concentration camp. There were eleven subcamps of Dachau, and I was born in Lager Number One. My mother was the youngest daughter among fourteen brothers and sisters, born in 1922 in Komarno, Czechoslovakia, to a family rich in Torah values. Her mother would send her brothers back to synagogue on Shabbat if they did not bring someone home for a Shabbat meal. Mm -hmm. She would say there must be someone in synagogue needing a Shabbat meal. Their home was open to yeshiva students who needed a place to stay. Her father encouraged yeshiva students and rabbis to gather wheat from his farm and prepare flour to make matzat for Passover. Matzat is unleavened bread. Her parents' farm was used to train pioneers in the use of farm equipment, how to farm and raise livestock in preparation for Aliyah, going to Palestine in the 1930s. Her mother literally gave away her husband's clothing to the needy. No questions were asked. Mm. My parents met via a matchmaker. My mother came from her hometown in Czechoslovakia and stayed at her sister in Budapest. My father lived in Hungary not far from Budapest, in a small city called Shayusen Peter, and went there to meet her. After several meetings, they became engaged and quickly planned their wedding in 1943. My mother's family tried to dissuade the marriage because of the dangerous situation, but to no avail. They were in love, and the marriage would proceed. My father sent his own non-Jewish worker to Komarno, Czechoslovakia, to smuggle my mother to Mishkols, Hungary, to be married, a distance of more than 400 kilometers. The border between Czechoslovakia and Hungary was closed. She was smuggled into Hungary on a passenger train disguised as a Christian mute. She wore a big cross around her neck, black clothing, and a veil around her head to reduce suspicion. This was a treacherous mission. If discovered, instant death would follow. Now, no one from my mother's family was at the chuppah, which is the wedding. It took place on the evening of April the 5th, 1944, a Wednesday, three days before Passover. Are you crazy getting married now? Nazis all around? That day was the very day of the yellow star. In a show of defiance, She pinned a red rose over the big yellow star on her dress. But they were in love, and que sera, sera. What will be, will be. They lived together in the Mishkoltz ghetto until June. In June 1944, they were separated, and my father was taken to the Carpathian Mountains as a slave laborer. My mother was taken with thousands of other Jewish prisoners stuffed into cattle cars to Auschwitz, a journey lasting several days, well over 400 kilometers. There was a little hole high up on the cattle car wall close to the ceiling to allow fresh air for the normal cargo of cattle. But crammed with hundreds of people and stench, it was not enough. P- 
People climbed on each other to try and get a breath of fresh air. When the doors finally opened in Auschwitz-Birkenau, many had already succumbed to the squalor, filth and hunger having been locked up with little or no food or water for many days. My mother found herself appearing before Joseph Mengele, the angel of death, for the selection process. Healthy and strong, she went to the right and lived for another day. Pregnant mothers and babies and the weak were sent to the left and to the gas chamber and death. He was also looking for twins to do terrible experiments. Everything happened quickly. Schnell, Schnell, shouted the SS guards with their barking dogs. There were two lines, one for death, one to live another day. Jewish prisoners in striped uniforms ran to the trains and cried in German, give their kinder to their mama, give the babies to the grandparents, or you will be smoke coming from those chimneys. They had come to tell the newly arriving mothers that by giving their children to their mothers or mothers-in-law, at least the parent would be saved. The grandmothers with the babies went to the left and to the gas chambers and eventually the crematorium. If the mothers held on to their children, they too would both be gassed. Heads were shaved and the hair was piled in heaps by color of hair. Clothes and shoes were replaced with a striped gown, no underwear and wooden shoes. Numbers were tattooed on their arms. The Germans were dehumanizing the people, hoping to bring them to the level of animals. My mother was young, healthy and beautiful. Prisoners who had been in Auschwitz a long time faltered to get onto work groups that left Auschwitz. Get out of here if you can. At the beginning of July 1944, she was taken to Plaszow, a forced labor camp in Poland, again by a cattle car, a distance of 100 kilometers from Auschwitz. Then one day, she felt something moving in her belly and asked, what's happening to me? and only then realized that she was pregnant. If discovered, death was certain. How to hide it? She exchanged her prisoner gown with another woman for a larger size to help hide her pregnancy. I was terribly scared and felt so alone. I was so hungry, every day so hungry, she said. Her mother's face and her husband's smile began to fade in her memory. Her thoughts are starting to become dull. Now she must not only fear for her life, but also for that of her baby. My mother was very lucky. There was a Polish Jewish couple named Heinrich Reichsfeld. A couple is a concentration camp prisoner appointed by the SS guards to supervise forced labor. He needed 20 women in his squad to search through pillows and blankets of deported and murdered Jews. They would search for gold and jewels. He said to my mother, I chose you because you look like my daughter. She is dead. Somehow, he knew that my mother was pregnant. He snuck in a piece of sausage, cheese, bread, and potatoes, and even once a boiled egg, something unthinkable in a concentration camp. This man was an exception among the many brutal couples of Plaschau. At the beginning of August 1944, Plaschow is evacuated because the Allies are advancing and prisoners are returned to Auschwitz. Again, my mother was marched before Mengele for the selection process. And again, 
miraculously sent to the right. She told me that the Germans put bromine in their food and water. This chemical prevented women from menstruating and that also made their stomach swell. This also helped hide her pregnancy. Then one day at roll call, an SS officer offered double portions of food to all pregnant women that would step out of line. My mother didn't. She felt that her mother sent her a message that it was a trick and not to step out. Sure enough, over 50 pregnant women stepped out and they were all gassed. In September 1944, my mother was sent to work in Augsburg, Germany, almost 900 kilometers away in a Messerschmitt factory, making parts for airplanes. There were 500 other women and political prisoners there. One day she noticed through the window an apple tree and being pregnant and always hungry, asked the fellow political prisoner who had more freedom to get around if he could pick it for her, he did and hid it in the latrine. She retrieved it and savored every bite. The situation in Augsburg was not great, but much better than in Auschwitz. In December of 1944, two German officers, while on a routine inspection, discovered her pregnancy. My mother was seven months pregnant. Ah, du bist schwanger, du bist schwanger, du schwein. Oh, you're pregnant, you're pregnant, you pig. We are taking you back to Auschwitz for extermination. The two Germans and my mother traveled together on a regular passenger train with German citizen all properly attired. At one stop, when the German officers went out for a smoke, the lady opposite my mother asked, Was passiert? What's happened to you? My mother, for the first time, saw her own reflection. She looked like a monkey, shaved head and skinny as a rake, wearing inmate clothing with the big letters KZ on the back. Katze. Don't you know, she said, they're killing Jews. The two SS officers returned and said, you are lucky. Auschwitz is being bombed. You are being turned over to the concentration camp in Kaufering, and Kaufering consisted of 11 subcamps of the main camp Dachau. Kaufering prisoners were used as slave laborers to build huge underground bunkers. These had cement walls several feet thick. These caverns were used to build the German Messerschmitt planes. Upon entering the barracks, which were triangular or domed in shape and partially underground, my mother discovered six other pregnant Hungarian women who were placed there from Bergen-Belsen concentration camp. They hugged each other and cried. Why these other mothers were there to begin with is a mystery. They called themselves the Schwanger Commando, the pregnant battalion. They worked in the laundry and the kitchen. In December of 1944, the pregnant mothers began delivering their babies. All were healthy babies. Birgi Legman, the eldest of the mothers, delivered first. It was freezing cold, and Luba the capo smuggled a small wood stove into the barracks to provide heat. She was discovered and beaten to a pulp by the SS officers. And guess what? She brought another stove in the very next day and stood up to these officers. My mother was the last of the seven mothers to deliver. Dr. Vadash, a gynecologist prisoner from the men's side, was sent to help in the deliveries. He had no instruments, no water, nothing but his frail body. My mother had terrible labor pains for 48 hours. Dr. Vadash kept yelling, push, Miriam, push. You have to push. 
My mother had no strength. Dr. Vadash lay on top of my mother and forced all his weight on her abdomen. And while shouting encouragement and pushing, my mother finally gave birth. I weighed almost four and a half kilograms, bright blue eyes and golden blonde hair. I looked like an Aryan. The German officers joked that maybe she had relations with the German. A few days later, my mother developed a high fever and started to bleed very badly. The placenta did not come out. This became an emergency. Dr. Vadash did a scraping with his bare hands. She came very close to dying at that very moment. My mother was so sick and weak and could not breastfeed me. Birgi, the first mother to deliver, nursed me and whoever else among the other babies that required it. Heinrich Himmler, head of the SS, was determined to exterminate all Jewish children. Himmler's famous speech on October the 6th, 1943 at Posen in Poland declared, we came to the question, how is it with the women and children? I decided to find a solution here as well. I did not consider myself justified to exterminate just the men, that is to kill them or have them killed and allow the avengers of our sons and grandsons in the form of their children to grow up. The difficult decision had to be taken to make the people disappear from the earth. So in October of 1943, Himmler ordered the extermination of pregnant women and children. One and a half million babies and children were murdered by the Nazis and seven healthy babies were born in a concentration camp. Hitler wanted the complete annihilation of the Jewish race. The American army was converging and on April 27th, the Nazis began evacuation of the subcamps and forced prisoners to march or put them in open train cars to Dachau, the main concentration camp, where the plan was to gas everyone. A German soldier, seeing my extremely weak mother, offered to carry me. My mother asked him why. He replied, you remind me of my daughter. My mother was able to get on a coal car behind the steam engine with me bundled in rags heading to Dachau. The train was mistakenly attacked and bombed by allied air forces, not knowing that it was transporting prisoners from the various concentration camps. The engine was disabled and my mother thinking this was the end, jumped off the coal car and ran into the woods. A new engine was brought to replace the bombed out one and the prisoners were rounded up and those that tried to escape were shot. The train continued through the city of Dachau with its human cargo and stopped in the city. There was no room in the camp to unload. They were not killing fast enough. Prisoners in Dachau were being slaughtered because the Nazis knew that the end of the war was nearing and they wanted to kill as many as they could. In the early morning of April 29, 1945, Dachau was finally liberated by the American army. After seeing nothing but death all around, the soldiers could not believe their eyes when they saw seven mothers with their babies. Even at liberation, many prisoners died because of disease such as typhus. Also starving prisoners were given too much to eat too quickly. Before being separated, my parents planned that if they survived, they would each return to their city. After regaining strength, my mother was driven by Jeep with a doctor and a nurse to Prague and stayed for two to three days, then on to Bratislava and then to her home in Komarno. The news of my mother and baby reached my father in Hungary, 
he immediately traveled to Komarno. And so it was, they met. My father was shocked to see his wife with a blue-eyed, blonde-haired baby. My mother said, it's ours. He has your ears. Those that survived the Holocaust began to realize the extent of the disaster that befell them and their families and slowly started to put their lives together. In most cases, nothing remained of complete families or property and survivors looked abroad. My mother's sister left Europe before the war and with her husband settled in Bowmanville on a small farm near Toronto. And it was to Toronto that my parents would eventually come before finally leaving on the ocean liner, the SS Washington from France, they spent several months in Barbizon, an area close to Paris, in shelters that were arranged by an organization that rescued Jewish orphaned children. We spent several months in Barbizon, France, and then sailed to New York. The entry papers were not in order, and we ended up in Cuba for about six months, hmm. waiting for our visa. In 1947, we finally arrived to Toronto. Wow. And it's amazing because, you know, there, there were so many times in your mother's journey where like she's being marched around and she's being sent here and things are getting bombed. And so often she, you know, she shouldn't have made it, but she did, you know, her whole life and your life too, for that matter, is just miraculous. It's, it's, yeah, she, she was, uh, I mean, obviously, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, uh, the hand of God uh, was there. There's no question about that. People have asked her, how, do, how can you believe in God? People, you know, people have died and, and it was horrible. And her, her answer was simply, I brought a baby back from hell. So mm -hmm. it was, uh, it's a very personal thing, obviously. So everybody has a different, uh, different take on this. And, and this was her. And she came from a religious background, as my father did as well. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and this is, you know, having having emuna, as we say in Hebrew, having faith. And this, I think, what carried them through this uh, the terrible time. Mm. Yeah, and your father, so your father became a rabbi, was it after the war when he landed in Canada? Or had he become a rabbi before leaving Europe? Or No, no, he wasn't. He was a, he was a very well-educated man. And he had a, um, he got a position in, in um, well, for, okay, when we came to Toronto in 1947, they were working... Mm -hmm. At whatever they could get, mm -hmm. they had uh, you know stuffing mattresses in a factory. My mother was, was uh, doing some work in uh, sewing. Mm -hmm. Eventually, an opportunity arose that my father would become a, a, a teacher and a rabbi in a small city north of Toronto called Timmins. Timmins mm -hmm. is like a mining town. It's about six hundred miles. If you think Toronto's cold, <laughs> Timmins <laughs> is close to the North Pole. Wow. Anyway, we were there for two years, and he became the rabbi there in the city and a teacher. Mm -hmm. And then from from Timmins, they moved to a place called Sudbury. Mm -hmm. And then Sudbury finally ended back in Toronto, where we opened, my parents opened up a bookstore in mm -hmm. 1966, selling Judaica, mm -hmm. and which they had for 40 years. Yeah, it's a, it's like a landmark there in Toronto, Miriam's Judaica, right? I mean, it, it's quite the establishment for sure. Now, if you don't mind my asking, like, how did your mother come to peace with this? And also like your father, you know, how did he maintain his faith, you know, despite the horrors that he saw as well? You know, it's, 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 it's hard to put it to the only, I mean, this not the simple answer. The only thing I can, that I comes to mind is the fact that they were believers in God 
and mm -hmm. believers in the fact that whatever was destined to happen was was a plan, the master plan. And we can't understand the master plan, but we have to abide by it. Mm -hmm. And whether good or bad in the way we see things, it's always good in the eyes of God. So in some sense, that's, I think, how he reconciled or that's how it was reconciled. On the other hand, my mother's brother uh, lost his wife and children, mm -hmm. and he totally went the opposite way. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, and they came, and I get my mother and my uh, and her brother came from the same family, saw the same upbringing, mm -hmm. saw the same, uh, and, but they had a different, different view of things. So, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's very difficult to, to give a, a cause or, how, you know, why this and why that, but it, yeah. this, yeah. No, I understand. Yeah. Now, so you were the last of the seven coffering babies to be born. Yes. So I don't know, but it's quite possible that you're the youngest Holocaust survivor in the world, or definitely at least one of the youngest, if not the youngest. How old were you when you learned the amazing story of your birth, and how did you process all that? <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good question. I was probably in my early 20s. Mm -hmm. When I, I mean, my mother, I remember as a youngster hearing about certain things and, and, uh, but really, you know, it's like way over your head. It, it, mm -hmm. it didn't, it didn't uh, register. And, uh, when I was in the, in my twenties, I started really hearing more and more about it. And, um, I was being called, you know, from time to time, a dirty Jew, uh, where we lived in up up north, and I didn't understand that, and I, and and I started asking questions, and I started listening to the stories that my mother was telling me, and especially mm -hmm. people were starting to write about it. So I not only did I hear it from my mother, but I started reading about it, mm -hmm. and I think that's when it suddenly made an impression on me what was really happening, and the mm -hmm. processing of it is still going on in my head. It's mm -hmm. I, I think if you the way I look at it, I was there in body, mm -hmm. but not in mind. I mean, mm -hmm. I, everything that I know is only what was told to me. Right. So I have, I have no firsthand feeling of it. Although if you can, as, as a, as a, a as a baby in a womb, in the, how much, how much was, 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 uh, was pushed through to me again, mm -hmm. it, it's, 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 it's a very difficult position for me to be in. I, I, it's, it's, it's like I said, I'm still processing it. I, mm -hmm. Many many times I'm, I'm, I go on the internet and I look at these horrible pictures to to, to say that I was in the, I was in a place like that. Yeah, it was just amazing. And in fact, um, in in 2010, mm -hmm. the six babies and myself had a reuni we reunited in um, in Dachau for the 65th commemoration of Dachau, mm -hmm. and it was amazing because here we are the seven babies getting together for the first time in 65 years. What a feeling! What a feeling that was. Yeah, that's just. I mean, another miracle, right? I mean, just the, the fact that you all made it. <laughs> it was just. It's just it's astounding. And Birgi, I think I mentioned that Birgi Legman, who was the um, the mother that nursed me. Mm -hmm. My mother looked for her after the war. She spent twenty five years looking for this lady through the Red Cross, and finally found her in in Brazil, Sao Paulo, mm. and uh, <laughs> invite. <laughs> actually invited her to our wedding in Toronto hmm. in 1972, to which she came. And it was very, very emotional and very, very beautiful. Oh. <laughs> so, so let me ask you, you know, your parents have gone through 
I mean, it, this just, I mean, unbelievable experience and come out on the other side and they have survived, they have lived, they're raising their family. And what are some of the things that they taught you growing up, you know, about charity and tolerance and overcoming evil with love? All of those, all of those. In fact, if, if, if I can read my, this is, I, this is, I think encapsulates who my mother was and who my parents were and what, how was, you know, what was passed down to my generation and what I hopefully passed on to my kids' generation. Mm -hmm. She wrote this, this was a, um, in, in 2010, as I mentioned before, there was the 65th commemoration of the liberation of Dachau, which she did not attend, but she made a, a homemade video and she, um, she, she, she made a speech. And this is what she said, if I can read it. Yes, please. I would like to send greetings to the staff at the Dachau Museum, to all survivors of Dachau and its subcamps from all countries and their families. I would also like to send greetings to the young generation, to the dignitaries, to students of the Holocaust, and to the German citizens, Jews and non-Jews, who are attending today. I would like to thank Eva Gruberova and Sabine Sham, the curators of the exhibition. I would like to thank Mrs. Gabrielle Hammerman for making the project possible and for inviting our children to participate in this overwhelming milestone. I would like to send special greetings to the seven children born in Kaufring who have gathered here from Canada, Brazil, Israel, Slovakia, Hungary, Tuchana, Marika, Judith, Agi, George, Yossi, and my son, Leslie. We were seven Lagerschwester, women who were like sisters, although we were strangers. We helped each other. The SS called us the Schwanger Commando. Only Eva Fleischmanova in Slovakia and I, in Canada, remain today. The other five women were Elizabeth Legman, who saved my son's life, Suri Hirsch, Dora Lowy, Magda Schwartz, and Iboya Kovac. Our children are at this memorial today to represent us. The gathering today is a memorial to those who perished. The American army liberated seven mothers and our babies in Dachau on April 29, 1945. Until today, I don't know why we were spared, why we were kept alive when one and a half million Jewish children were killed by the Nazis. The Americans couldn't believe what they saw in the midst of so much death seven babies. I send this message to the people of Germany, especially the young people, also politicians, educators, clergy. We must learn how to understand other suffering nations of the world. We must practice tolerance, accept our differences, skin color, religion. We are all God's children. The young people must fight for democracy. Take an example from the young people of Iran. Because they wanted democracy, thousands of them were killed. Don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be complacent. You have an example with Hitler who poisoned the people and taught them to hate and blame the Jews for everything. People believed him. I pray and hope that in your generation, the world will change. Thank you for listening to my message. And it was delivered Toronto, January 2010. So what she said here basically is understanding tolerance, education, don't be ignorant. If you have any questions, learn about something. Just don't take things at, at face value and dig. 
to understand what went on. Mm. I think that's that's the lesson for that that I heard that I've that I've been taught, and, and like I said, I, I'm passing this on to my children as well. Well, Mr. Rosenthal, thank you so much for your time, for sharing your your story, your mother's story, a remarkable tale of courage and bravery and love and, and frankly, miracles, lots of miracles to make this happen. So I really just want to let you know how much I appreciate your time and uh, thank you so much for sharing all this with us. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for having me.